podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, the podcast that loves a late winner at Selhurst Park, especially when you can do it two seasons running. I'm joined by Rob Prattley. Rob, how are we doing this fine morning, sir? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm I'm good. Again, I was finding it quite funny that you reminded everyone that, again, last time I was here, we were looking at a late Chelsea winner at Selhurst Park. I think also at the same end as well. Yes, yes, I probably was at the same end indeed. So lovely, lovely scenes late on yesterday Chelsea grabbed a crucial crucial three points um right Rob as I always do guess I get them to give themselves a plug so tell people where they can find all your work all your Twitter etc yeah so if you again if you want to find my personal stuff which again has been a bit quieter in recent weeks now I'm enjoying the lull of the transfer window being finally closed uh it's at RJP journalism the more interesting follows are probably at the Chelsea social and at the CSW social which is where my written content and the more interesting media content sort of comes out rather than me just moaning about uh, sort of how people don't understand how transfers work. Lovely, lovely stuff. And yeah, Rob's links will be in the description. Make sure you check him out. A great, great guy on Twitter. Right, Rob, let's just get into it. Just before we kind of, I guess, go deeper into the game breakdown. That was a big, that was a big three points yesterday. Um, Given how Chelsea season has started, it does kind of feel that like every single win is pretty vital at this point. But what were your just like thoughts and feelings, you know, when that full-time whistle blew yesterday? I think overall probably a feeling of relief. Um, I think there were things that I liked about the game. There were things I really didn't like about the game. Um, in many ways, and I was talking to Adam Noose about this, he sort of said to me at half-time, do you want to sum it up? And he said, some parts good, some parts bad, uh, some individual errors. And I said, you know, that sums up Chelsea probably from about last November, in less than 10 words. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think it was sort of a similar situation to that again, really. Um, Frustrating to sort of the way it started. Obviously, another individual error. Good to see that we didn't just completely collapse because it looked like we might. Um, Obviously, got back into it through Aubameyang's goal. I thought in the second half we played quite well. I do think the tactical switches that Graham Potter made did help us take control of the game. Probably should have had more shots and more efforts for the amount of possession that we did have. Um, but I think that's something the time will come. And then obviously, you know, Gallagher off the bench. Uh, the commentator, I think, who was I was watching when I saw the game, did comment on it and said, you know, is it written in the stars sort of for it to come on? And I sort of thought, yeah, this is the sort of nonsense that football likes throwing at you in the same way that the same way Giroud's scoring a worldie against us this week. Um in the sort of same way football likes throwing nonsense at you and loves storylines. Uh, and it's sort of, you know, it was just important, I think, to get that goal. And yeah, a huge, a big three points, a tough place to go. And also against the side, I think, that have the capability of surprising people. You know, they gave Arsenal a very good game on the opening day. And they have, especially under Vieira, they've had a very good record against the top six. So, Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. They've already gone to Anfield and got a point this season. And as we don't, about them in recent seasons. They've done well against the likes of Man City, etc. as well. Despite our brilliant record against them over the last few years, it's still never an easy game. So that felt big. 
And yeah, Rob, look, once we go one nil down, again, it's kind of an individual error. Um, but we bounce back. But were the football gods smiling on us, but Thiago Silva got away with one potentially. And obviously he is then involved in the build-up uh, to to Aubameyang's equaliser. And then obviously, you know, Conor Gallagher wins it at, wins it at the end, uh, the ex-Palace Only It did almost feel like the football gods were really smiling on us yesterday. Mm. Yeah, I, I kind of, I think to a point, I mean, it was interesting. Someone did say to me and someone made a really good point about this is that with the uh, silver one, about a minute earlier, a couple of minutes earlier, Aubameyang was penalised for a similar challenge on the halfway line where he pressed the defender and didn't really put a bit of pressure on them, but didn't really catch them in a similar way to Jordan Ayew. And that was given as a foul. Now, I think what VAR did, and I've said this to a couple of people, rightly or wrongly, I think VAR have looked at that and said that because of where that foul happened and the nature of that being called as a foul, they actually called the decision against Silver as a foul and said that you can't rescind the yellow card because you've already given the yellow card because VAR can't rescind yellow cards. But it's actually, you know, we think this shouldn't be a free kick. This is actually a foul. So I think that's why the decision wasn't given. And that also would explain why he wasn't referred to the screen. Because if he'd been referred to the screen, it would have been a clear and obvious error. Now, in terms of whether it was a straight red card, um, it's difficult. I mean, from that angle, it did look like Chilwell might get across. Um, You've sort of got to factor in that it is. he was still a long way from goal. There was still quite a lot to do. You've also got to factor in it was Jordan Ayew, so it was probably going wide anyway. Um, but yeah, no, at the end of the day, you know, VAR giveth, the VAR taketh away. I'm sure we'll see plenty of scenarios this season where we get, you know, done in by it. Refereeing in general in the Premier League is awful. So I think, you know, it was smiling on us as much as that we got a little bit lucky, but it wasn't really the sort of decision that I've looked at and seen them and I've seen them given as red cards, but I've also seen them not given as red cards. So, Yeah, no, exactly. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right, let's just get to to the equaliser. Obviously, after you know the, the poor first goal, we conceded for Fana, etc., kind of being called out of position a little bit. But Aubameyang is off the mark, Rob. But that one's just quite nice to have. He's just got that first goal for back. You know, it was a really nice finish as well. A proper number nine goal on the turn, swivel. Just you know, just what we needed. Just what Aubameyang needed, really. Yeah. De- definitely. I mean, I said this to someone else on, I think it was on deadline day when he signed, they sort of said to me about Aubameyang and I said, well, you're not going to get a lot in build-up play. He's not the sort of player that's going to come really deep. He's not a dribbler. Um, he's not a huge physical presence. But one thing he is, is that if you give him chances like that, nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, he will take them. And again, it's the sort of finish that I've seen a lot of other players sort of screw up because it wasn't an easy finish on the swivel and on the turn. And he made it look so, so easy. And I think that was what was really impressive about it was the effortless, how effortless he made it look, um, the nature of that finish. And at times, I think that's what we've been crying out for. I mean, I've seen, I think probably there's maybe one other player in the squad in Raheem Sterling, where I think if you gave him that finish and you said, right, that's your, that's your sort of finish, take it he would take it on a regular basis in that style. I think you've got people like Mount who would sometimes. I think you've got people like Havertz who would sometimes. But I think you're not saying, you know, the majority of the time, and maybe sort of like four or five times out of ten from Mount and from Havertz. Whereas for Aubameyang, nine times out of ten, that's ending up as a goal. 
And that, I think, is just the little bit of quality that he does offer, that little bit extra that he does provide. And I think that, you know, could be a really, really valuable thing, especially in tight games. Yeah, no, exactly. And that kind of got Chelsea to 1-1. Obviously, you know, a diagonal threat from Reece Silver, you know, heads it down and there's Bezawa on the turn. And it's one all. And Chelsea were, you know, back in the game and you thought, right, let's try it and kick on for a winner. Well, before we kind of get on to, to the hero, I do want to talk about the midfield two. I feel the midfield two at Chelsea is often going to be quite a talking point. It has been over the years. We know the strengths. We know the limitations. Mm. Jorginho got subbed off quite early in the second half. Again, to me, that was pretty pretty telling of his performance. Also, don't know your thoughts. I thought that was potentially Mateo Kovacic's worst ever performance in a Chelsea shirt. I, I know he, I know caveat off back. He's still you know finding his way back to form after after that injury that kept him out at the start of the season. But I thought Kovacic was just really poor yesterday. And that midfield two in general did struggle. And, you know, I guess, you know, direct runners running against him was, was a bit of a challenge. Yeah, no, definitely. I um, It was quite interesting. I, again, I was discussing this game yesterday with someone and I said, and I tweeted it uh, myself and it was sort of following up to what I tweeted, was that Chelsea, whenever they come against a bit of pace and power in a the midfield, they always seem to struggle. And yesterday you had that in the nature of, I think Palace sort of saw that they could get at Chelsea and felt they could get at Chelsea, which is why they started a very attacking lineup. Like that was a very, very attacking side for Palace. Um, yes, they were Elise, Ize, um, Zaha, uh, Ducure, who although he is the defensive midfielder, he does he was getting forward and driving into the box um, and driving forward. And I think it was quite telling that Palace sort of picked on Jorginho. They they picked on the fact Jorginho likes taking those touches and turning back inwards. And that every time he did that, they just had someone sat there who was sort of just picking up the pieces, especially in the first half. Um, I don't want this to, you know, just turn into a just bashing one single player because I think ultimately, like Chelsea's midfield issues stem deeper than just saying, oh yeah, it's all Jorginho's fault. But I do think the nature of Jorginho, and you saw this when he was playing for his national side, is that he's a great player when he's got the right players alongside him. And I don't think Chelsea have that at the moment. And I don't think the Chelsea system at the moment necessarily provides that. Now, in terms of the right players alongside him, you need players that can cover for his weaknesses, which are indeed his lack of pace and, you know, his lack of physical strength. Now for Italy's case, they have Barella and they've got people like Lorenzo Pellegrini who can sort of sit in there and, be that sort of player alongside him and Marco Verratti as well who you know is just such an unbelievably unbelievably good footballer and so you don't you know the problem is sort of mitigated a little bit it's not anywhere near as big an issue as it is at Chelsea whereas yesterday I think you know Kovacic wanted to go forward which is fine but if you want to go forward you need someone back there defending and I don't think Jorginho was able to do that defensive work yeah no exactly and I say Kovacic well I just think he's his passing was off. He was just general, a bit sloppy. I think he got caught on the ball a couple of times. It was just, yeah, just, I guess, an uncharacteristic coaching performance. And I think, you know, I have this conversation with Darren Charles. It does seem, again, very early stages of the season. You don't want to, you know, make sort of sweeping statements just yet. But it does feel coaching is potentially sort of drifting back into some old habits. Last season was like a re, almost like a breakout for him at Chelsea, comfortably his best season in a Chelsea shirt, he was adding a lot more to his game. And so far this season, it's just felt like he's maybe slightly reverting back to type a bit, which is slightly, 
slightly worrying. But look, there were obviously other issues yesterday as well, other than other than just the midfield two issues. I guess they did get, you know, it was very very obvious. Um, right, Rob, let's just get to it. Conor Gallagher. Yeah, you kind of kind of I think referenced it over. It was almost like written in the stars type thing. It's saying the football gods. You came on. You kind of had a feeling he was going to score. I guess in a way, it's almost similar to Lingard against uh, West Ham for Man United last season. Again, scoring a, a very late winner, winner there. I just think you know the poor Palace fans. They must hate us that they've two seasons running. They've lost it late to us. You know, just imagining Patrick Vieira. You know, just on the touchline or talking to Graham Potter afterwards. You know, channeling his inner inner Severus Snape when uh, Harry tries to use the Half Blood Prince's uh, spell against him. You know, you dare use Conor Gallagher <laughs> against me, Potter. Um, for Connor, who's had a tough start to the season, that was just an unbelievable moment, was it? And just as fans, just that was just a really beautiful moment to enjoy, wasn't it? Yeah, I, like, I, I sort of tweeted about. It. I'm really pleased for the guy because Gallagher, Gallagher's just an immensely likable sort of guy. He clearly wants to play for Chelsea. I know for a fact, you know, he turned down a lot of offers in the summer. There were a lot of clubs that tried to bring him in both permanently and on loan. And all the way through, he stuck to his guns and said, I'm good enough. I want to play for Chelsea. I've spent long enough out on loan. I want a chance to play for the club I support, the club I love. Um, And, I've, you know, I've always got to respect that. And obviously it hadn't been the easiest sort of start. I think it hadn't been helped by the disruption around the club and, you know, the nature of poor performances. I do think at times Gallagher, certainly from certain fan base elements, the fan base became sort of a quasi scapegoat. And it was just a case of, you know, why are we playing Gallagher? He's not good enough, even though I don't think we were really ever using him in his best position because I think he is better up the pitch. Um, And yeah, obviously sort of like a really, really impressive finish, very similar to the one he scored last year, I think at Everton at Selhurst Park, ironically. Um, and it was just nice to see a midfielder shoot from outside the box. I mean, you know, we learned something yesterday that if you do shoot from range, you do have a chance of scoring, um, which, you know, I'm sure is very shocking. But, it, yeah, it was just really nice to see. And, again, hopefully that can be the thing that really kickstarts his Chelsea career, obviously. I don't think anyone's going to pretend so far it's got off to, you know, a stellar start. But that's the sort of thing where, you know, on such moments, things do change. And... I'm sort of, you know, I remember other players who have started maybe a bit slower at Chelsea and have had that one sort of moment, that one real big breakout moment and have gone on and done really, really well. So I hope Gallagher's going to be the next one of those. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a goal that won us a crucial three points and it's Conor Gallagher's first ever Chelsea goal. I mean, just even that alone, just his reason just to be happy and to celebrate Conor. There doesn't need to be, I don't think, a deep, you know, a, a deeper analysis about we don't need to you know, look, think back, does, you know, is he now like good enough to play for Chelsea, etc. Time will tell. But it's what he needed. It's a goal that will give him confidence. Hopefully it makes him feel like he really belongs at this level for Chelsea now. And look, it's a crucial three points for Rob. At the time of recording, amidst all the chaos, amidst all the calamity, amidst all the crisis that's kind of talk that's been around Chelsea this season, they currently find themselves one point off fifth place. I mean, it is very, still very early days in Premier League season, but I guess it just kind of shows goes to show that, you know, you're only ever a few games away from from a narrative really, really changing on here. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I tend to pay no attention to league titles and or the league table until at least you get sort of 10, 11 games in. 
because there's so much movement. I mean, you look at Chelsea at the moment, we're apparently in absolute crisis. Tottenham are, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. And yet if we win our game in hand, then we'll be right up behind them on their coattails. Um, similarly, you know, Everton are in crisis and Liverpool are so good under Jurgen Klopp and so brilliant. And yet at the same time, I think Everton are now level on points with them. Um, but yeah, it's the sort of thing that I, I tend to sort of pay little attention to it. The fixtures are very, very fast this season. There is a lot of chances, even if you start poorly, there's plenty of time this year, especially to get back and get back on the right trail because of the nature of how condensed and packed the fixture list is, especially before Qatar, the Qatar World Cup. So, yeah, I mean, I think Chelsea really just need to be looking at games, you know, one at a time. They've got quite a nice run of fixtures coming up and need to just keep winning, really, and just, you know, keep focusing on winning, winning in any way possible, getting the right habits in place. I will admit from the two games I've seen so far from Graham Potter, I do think certainly from an offensive point of view, we look a lot stronger um, and we look a lot more capable, I think, of creating chances. Uh, Defensively, we're still, you know, not good enough. But I think what it is telling to say and probably the big thing, the most positive thing is that besides a couple of longer range efforts yesterday, we didn't really give up too much inside the box in terms of clear goal-scoring opportunities, and indeed Palace's goal came from another mistake. Now, it does seem to be a bit of a running theme, and I've said this for a while now, you know, saying if you can kill off mistakes, you're in a better place is much easier said than done. But it does still ring true, and I think it rings even more true at the moment with Chelsea, is that I saw a stat yesterday, I think it was that we have one of the highest XGs in terms of shot creating XGs for and lowest creating X or highest creating XGs against. So for that, for people who don't follow stats, the chances we create are really high quality chances, but equally the chances we give up are really, really high quality chances. Now, ideally what we want to be is at the other end of the spectrum where you're creating high quality. And yet at the same time, you're only giving up low quality chances. And it's no surprise that we're the only one of the sides, I think around the top of the table or sort of in the top thing six that, aren't below, I think, about 0.8 for that stat. And if we can start getting that stat down, then suddenly you look in a much, much better place. Yeah, no, exactly. And we kind of talk about if we can stop those errors. But it also rings true if you think about that that game against Salzburg, which, which you know, for a first game wasn't bad. But unfortunately, three errors in one sequence leads to Salzburg getting a point, And that's all of a sudden, you know, the view and the narrative around Chelsea's Champions League campaign is also so much so much different. So yeah, it, it's, it's promising, you know, some decent, decent starts, but you know, we now potentially now turn to a huge game midweek. Um, going to go on to listener questions. Now, first one I'm going to go to is from RJ thoughts on the Kula Bali exclusion under Potter. And also what did you make of our attacking play against Palace in general? What you liked or didn't like? Rob, we'll just go to, you know, the first, RJ's first question there, the Kula Bali exclusion, because obviously he did not, didn't feature against Salzburg. He didn't feature today. It's still very early days. It's still, you know, only two games in, so it's probably yeah. shouldn't read too much into it. But I guess it is going to be interesting if we do see sort of a back four under Potter. But obviously, you know, if we presume Thiago Silva is one centre back who will play most of the time, then there is going to be players missing out quite a bit. Yeah, and to be honest, I don't necessarily think I think, you know, realistically what Potter will want is a fluid system. I think he'll want the ability to play a three and also play a four at the back. Um, we saw the system change multiple times yesterday, going from the four triple two we started to a four three three to ending in a four two three one, which 
I know it doesn't sound like a lot of changes sort of on paper, but in reality, that's quite a, you know, broad way to change the system. And it does actually rely on a lot of players doing different things. Now, certainly from my perspective, I think that he will play plenty of minutes this season. I just think, you know, I think you'll probably see rotation, but I can see why people might be a bit concerned about it. I can see why they think, you know, why is he not maybe playing a little bit more? But ultimately, I think, you know, it's early days. It's hard to really judge a lot. I mean, by that argument, you'd say, you know, Broya's not played a lot. He's only come on for sort of two short sub cameos in that time. But obviously he's definitely in the long-term thinking due to the long-term sort of contract. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really think you can read too much into it yet. If you get, sort of, you know, five or six games without the player playing, then that's obviously a little bit different. But the other thing I will also sort of say is that I think Koulibaly hadn't, he played well, I think, in some of the games, but I do think at times he looked a bit clumsy and a bit cumbersome. And I almost think he kind of needed time to adapt to the Premier League. And one thing Graham Potter had always been very good at when he was at Brighton, especially, is recognising when players come to the league, giving them time to adapt, maybe keeping them out the firing line a little bit. And then when they come in, they're absolutely fit and ready and firing and, you know, determined to go. And we saw this a little bit with Moise Caicedo and with Enoch and Wepu at Brighton. Um, and I think that maybe just might be the case here. Yeah, no, exactly. And RJ Lovell's thing is say Kudabali's had a he started, you know, solid debut against Everton, got by great goal against Spurs, but I think since then it's been a bit bit average, he's not been great. I'd say the more thing that I think is maybe one we we'll have to keep an eye on is the future of Trevor Chalibur in all this. Yeah. Given the fact that he he'd only start he's only played one game this season anyway, which was starting against Leicester with Kudabali suspended, I believe, for that yeah, one. So that one, I think, is probably the more interesting, you know, one to keep an eye on. I think it's one where if, you know, who know, we do not know what will happen with Trev. I think he's a very talented player, but he'll also want to go and play football and he will be off, be able to go and play regular football somewhere else and still probably at a decent, decent level. So I think that's probably one more to keep an eye on. But yeah, Koulibaly, it's early days. I've not been hugely like, I don't think Koulibaly not playing games for Chelsea right now is a big deal. You know, I don't think he's, you know, set the world alight or anything. He's, mm. he's just done okay. We can ease him in this time. As I say, there's not, I wouldn't really make much of that right now. His second question, Rob, what did you make of our attacking play against Pass in general? What you liked and didn't like? Well, RJ, what I will say, it was a lot better attacking display than we saw at so high part last year, last season. That's not very hard, um, but it was a lot better than in that, that, that 1-0. Um, yeah. what, what did you kind of like and not like? I, th- I really actually liked how direct we were at times. The fact we weren't afraid to sort of play longer passes over the top, using Reese James's ability to sort of switch it and using the ability to switch play. Um, I think that certainly from my perspective, looking at some of the pace that we have up there and Aubameyang's ability to get in behind, I think that's something, you know, as we play more and more, players will learn how to sort of exploit that better and how they can almost use him better. Um I thought some of the combination playing around the box was good as well. We obviously had that chance from Mount in the first half that he headed wide that I thought he probably should have done better with, although it was a decent header. And then also uh, the chance of Sterling, which I do think he should have done better with. I think the quality of player he is, you expect him to equalise there, um, even though it sort of had the little deflection on it. And yeah, I think generally the quality of that was a lot better. Um, I think our possession as well in the final third, we kept possession better. In, in and around the box, we sustained pressure sort of for longer periods. Um, things I didn't really like, I, I still think we should shoot more. 
I think, you know, hopefully Gallagher's goal will remind players that if you shoot more and you take more chances, you have a better chance of scoring. Um, Sterling is one, especially for me, for this one, and also Havertz. I think both of them should shoot more. Uh, Havertz has the ability to score from range. I've seen him do it in Germany, and, you know, he hasn't done it enough for Chelsea so far, I think, due to the nature of that he's sort of been pulled about positionally. With Sterling, it seems to be a case, whenever Sterling has time to think about finishes, he tends to cock them up. But when he does it instinctively and he's doing stuff off the cuff, he finishes really, really well. And that's been the same all through his career. And I think, you know, just needs to do that more and just be more, you know, be more committed to his finishing, take more chances on and he will score more goals. Yeah, no, exactly. I think you kind of mentioned Havertz shooting and he did have that, I think there was that one shot he did sort of, you know, he had went on a bit run, then did have that shot that sort of curled, you know, fairly wide in the end. But again, that was kind of a bit more what we want to see from him. And yeah, ultimately, I will say, it was actually nice that we can actually even rob you there. We were actually able to still recall some pretty good chances that Chelsea missed mm-hmm. in, in this game. Like we obviously scored the two goals, and there were still, you know, some some fairly you know high, fairly high quality chances that, that we missed as well. That we can kind of talk about, which is which is quite nice because a lot of games this season I've been struggling to remember, so, so, you know, really big chances we created. So yeah, it's say some some promising signs, RJ. Uh, next question from Shyam. Way too early to judge or even discuss this, but thoughts on the centre-backs in the back four system today and who'd be your go-to pair ideally in the future? Rob, I know we kind of maybe sort of briefly touched on it, you know, a bit earlier, but Silva does seem to be the one who will play quite a lot. Obviously, there will probably be a time, given how many games we play this month, that we have to manage him. I don't think it's feasible, but he will be able to play all nine games in this month. He is, it does feel at times, superhuman, but even that would feel quite a lot. But yeah, what is your sign of like, so we can't judge yet because it's still you know too early. But what what do you think is sort of your your go to pair in, in this sort of back four system? I, I honestly don't know at this moment in time. I think it is probably Silver and one other. Um, I, I will say I thought although obviously he made a poor mistake for the goal yesterday, I do think Fafana played quite well. Um, I thought he did well not just completely crumbles at times. You know he has done especially when he's been at Leicester, um, and. Yeah, I think he sort of put in a performance that suggested that he could really be something quite impressive. I, as I did tweet elsewhere, I did think he, you know, played out from the back very well as well. I did, I did like the fact he constantly is always looking for the forward pass. Um, he's always looking for sort of the best forward option to create chances. Um, so I think you know that's sort of something definitely to be sort of quite pleased with. I will say that I, uh, I do think probably at the moment it's probably Silver. And Koulibaly just on experience, but I do think that that's more due to the fact that I am sort of viewing Koulibaly as the player he should be on paper rather than the player we've maybe seen so far. But then again, he might, you know, really come back and sort of the time off may have really suited him and he made us be sort of ideal and sort of ready to step into the breach and play the level that we know he can play. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Next question comes in from Rakesh Forts. Now, Senna Midfield kind of discussed that in the main part so I'll kind of skip that bit out what should our midfield combination be for Milan Rob I'm going to kind of expand this question and try and you know do the enemy task of almost picking a team team for Milan because that is our next game mm-hmm. the reality is in our Champions League group due to the start we've had in this competition there is very little margin for error now yeah we need AC to win Mil- yeah AC Milan oh. is the toughest opponent we face in this group these next two games against them realistically decide our fate, not only if we can top this group, but just to let alone get out of this group, which, you know, we shouldn't really be talking about, but it's the reality of the situation we find ourselves in. 
Is it a simple case of if N'Golo Kante is fit, he just gets thrown in against yes. AC Milan? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, if, if Kante is fit, or even if you know, he's, say, I'd say 90%, then he gets he gets played. Because I don't think you can afford to play against the Milan side that do have so much pace and such ability to counter-attack without Kante. I think, you know, would you be eaten alive? Um, in terms of who partners him, I honestly don't know. It, it's a tough one. I almost wonder, and I said this to someone else, I almost wonder if it might be a case that Chelsea go to a three in the midfield and try and solidify things, maybe even if they go into a four in the midfield and play a diamond um, to try and really break things up. And also due to the fact that I think I'm right in saying Hernandez is out on out of Wednesday's game and I think Calabria got injured yesterday. He went off on a stretcher, so it seems hard to imagine he's suddenly... You know, it'd be classic Chelsea for a player suddenly to go off on a stretcher on the Sunday and then make a miracle recovery to play against Chelsea. But um, I think it's unlikely sort of, you know, to see that. And I think then you probably, you're probably looking, I think, at Chilwell. I don't think Kukurea will play against Milan because I don't think he'll necessarily recovered from his illness in time. Um, although that's sort of obviously a bit dependent on how long that takes. And I think Chelsea might try and, you know, really pack the midfield and maybe almost use Havertz in that sort of number 10 role or Sterling in that number 10 role. I also, and I said this to someone else, it wouldn't surprise me to see Broya play against Milan. Um, maybe even Broya and Aubameyang up front together. Because I think Broya, they're waiting almost to unleash him against someone. And I kind of feel that maybe against Milan, especially with Kier at the back, obviously Tamori is very fast. Tamori is a very, very good player and is very fast. But if they can isolate him against Kier, he's going to go past him on Kier and be able to beat him. And I think that's maybe what Chelsea will maybe be sort of revving Broya up and revving him up sort of for the big occasion. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Rob, I guess... I've- you know, kind of sticking with this next question is, does Kepa, if we were to pick this team, does Kepa, you know, stay and go? I don't really think he did anything wrong yesterday. He couldn't really do anything about the goal we conceded. He made a, you know, put a couple of, a couple of nice saves, whichever distribution was right. Does he stay and go for this Milan game? Or if Mendy is fit, does he just come straight back in? I think he probably stays in goal in all honesty. Um, I don't see, you know, I don't think, I don't really see a reason why you can, you know, make a valid call for dropping him, if that makes sense. Um, like, I obviously appreciate that we didn't obviously keep a clean sheet, but that wasn't due to the goalkeepers, you know, due to any particular issue from the goalkeeper. And yeah, I think Kepa played quite well. He was better, I think, commanding in the air and commanding sort of from corners this season, which has been a nice thing to see. And in general, yeah, I just think, you know, I, I think it's harsh to sort of say, yeah, you sort of drop him and bring Mendy in when Mendy hasn't really pulled up any trees this season and maybe he himself needs the break just to you know reset recharge refocus fair enough fair enough. so i just kind of to finish that question i guess we're just going to pick a team for milan just say yes or no or if you change anything so we go kepper yep. goal reese james on the right silver and who partners silver fafana kudabali i'm not going to say trev i don't think trev will play <laughs> fafana kudabali which one would you kind of have partner partner silver I think you probably go with Koulibaly in this one, being as the fact he's played against Milan before and he knows sort of all about what Milan's attack can do. Um, and he knows about what Milan can do. Fair enough. We've got Chile on the left. In midfield, we're saying Kante is fit. So we're, yeah. we're throwing Kante in, partnering him. Do we go, you know, are we, we're not, do we, do we just pack that midfield completely and go Kovacic, Jorginho? Do we just go with one of them and then maybe Mount? You know, on one of the sides, what, what I'd, I'd almost there? like to go with Kovacic Gallagher in the midfield. Okay. 
So Kante, Kovacic, Gallagher midfield. But and then yeah, Gallagher probably just in front, so in that sort of, you okay. know, attacking role. Um, and then... It's difficult. I'm, I, I want to say Broya. I want to say Broya, but I don't think it'll be Broya. I think it'll be Aubameyang. I think you'll probably have Havertz on the right. And then the left, I don't know if it'll be Mount or if it'll be Pulisic, in all honesty. Are we saying no Sterling? To be honest, after performance he had the other day, I mean, maybe. His performance wasn't great. I thought Pulisic did really well off the bench. Um, I think Sterling probably will start. But I, I personally would almost like to see Pulisic start just to... He's got a point to prove at the moment from the fans and their opinion on him. He came on and did quite well. I thought yesterday as a substitute, he added energy and impetus and obviously got the assist for the goal as much of an assist you can get from a wonder strike. So, yeah, I probably think it'll be Sterling, but I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Pulisic starting. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, next two questions I'm going to combine. Uh, Demirs says, when God created Conor Gallagher, did he say finished afterwards? And <laughs> Dan Hill, I'm a huge fan of this, so I'm going to make this all about him. What a worldie from Conor Gallagher. Is this the start of his Chelsea story? Where does he fit in now? Um, I'll kind of go to, to answer Dan's bit first. It was a worldie for finish. Where does he fit in now, Dan? I still don't know. In terms of, I still don't, I still don't know how much that goal changes things in terms of the big picture of Chelsea. I think it's a beautiful moment for Conor, as I've mentioned earlier. It's a goal. It's a moment that we're probably, you know, it's already a goal of the season contender uh, for us. It's a moment, you know, we should, you know, look back on fondly. It's kind of, I said this uh, uh, to, to someone yesterday, but it was, it was a lovely moment. It was it was a basically a more important, a more glamorous, I guess, Trevor opening day goal against Crystal Palace. In terms of a bigger picture of it, it's, it's, we don't know how important that will be come the end of the season. We don't know how Conor Gallagher's Chelsea career will play out. But in the moment, that was just a beautiful moment. It was him mm. realising a dream, scoring a goal. And I think that's absolutely fine. But just to say that's what it is right now, I don't think we need to try and, you know, kind of go and peddle a narrative or force a narrative and say, oh, this is, you know, definitely the kickstart of him or he's now going to do this. And, it, you know, because I saw, you know, again, it's Twitter. So, again, take what you see there. People going, you know, how, how I saw three yesterday saying two could almost ruin, the, ruin Gallagher, etc. you know, uh, you know, Poster's almost like saved him. It's like, if, Post- if Gallagher doesn't score that goal, you're not tweeting that at 1-1. And it's just one of those things. I think just enjoy just enjoy it in the moment. Just enjoy that goal for what it is in the moment. I don't think there needs to be uh, some deep introspection, deep analysis of of what it what it means going forward or what it could be. We've just got to hope it just gives him the confidence and it can be the kickstart of his Chelsea career. But I don't think it needs to be talked about or discussed any deeper than just a boy living his childhood dream and winning us a crucial three points. And I think that's, you know, that's absolutely fine. That can apply, doesn't even just apply to football. Not everything in life has to have this really deeper meaning to it. Just enjoy it for what it is. But Rob, uh, you know, thoughts on where does it, on Dan's question, where does he fit now? And on Dean's question, did 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 God say finished after, after he created Conor Gallagher? I'm just not even going to grace Dean's question with an answer. Um, but the, uh, the Gallagher, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's a really good point, as you sort of said, about it being in realising a dream. I think that's something people don't like. You know, at times, the sort of romantic element of football is ignored. And I think it is important to, acknowledge that and recognize that um regarding the uh sort of regarding what what it sort of means for him i think a it should hopefully give him a lot of confidence i think that's the big thing is that i think you know he looked like someone who needed maybe a bit of confidence needed sort of a bit of you know almost something to make him believe that he belonged at chelsea and that is hopefully you know the sort of thing that sort of does that and does that ongoing 
Um, I do also feel that it gets the monkey off the back, getting that first goal, getting that important contribution. It's just such a, you know, for a player who views himself as a more attacking player, because I think that's how Gallagher does view himself, it is something that sort of you want to sort of get done. You know, you want that debut goal or you want that first strike. I mean, look at Aubameyang, for example. Aubameyang will now, I think, be a better player ongoing because he's got that first goal. He's got that monkey off the back. Um, You've seen it with other players this season where, you know, Sterling was snatching at chances in the sort of first few games and then got that first goal against Leicester and then a few minutes later was in the position to get the next one. Um, So... I think, you know, you raise a good point. Yeah, it's important to remember it as it is in the moment. It's important, I think, to acknowledge it and to say, you know, what a beautiful goal it was, what an important goal it was. Um, is that now five seasons in a row we've had a Cobham graduate score? No, five games in a row a Cobham graduate has scored against um, Palace or five out of the last six. Obviously, it was ZH last year. But I think I think Chaloba, I think Mount got one a couple of years ago. Abraham got the winner in Project Lockdown. Uh, what's it? Yeah, so hang on, let's go through this. So Tammy scored at home and away against Crystal Palace in 1920. Yeah. 21. Uh, I'm trying to think when we beat them 4-0, I'm not sure we had a common grad on the score sheet that day because it was Chilwell, Chilwell, Azuma header and two Jorginho penalties. Oh, yeah. The 4-1 win, we had Havertz, Pulisic, Brace and Zuma. Oh, so maybe no it's one. not. Maybe it's not as common as I thought. Cool, there, I was thinking. However, you know, yeah, last year we had Trev in on his debut. We had in the FA Cup. We had Ruben and May score. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's three of the last four. We'll, we'll we'll spin it to three of the last four. A common a common um, right or whatever has scored against Palace. We'll we'll spin it as that. And obviously in the last two games, an ex Palace loney has scored against Palace. Yeah, that that yeah, that's a that's a very strange one. I think. Yeah. No. That's that. Indeed. Um, the final question comes in from Anna. What do you make so far of Graham Potter as our manager and his tactics? Because I say, Rob, it's early days with Potter. And I think ultimately, you know, it, it's always going it's, to, it's going to be tough for him. It's going to be tough, you know, to sort of talk about his tactics and compare it because people are obviously going to draw the comparison to the previous manager because he was so tactically astute. He was one of the best tacticians in the world. And Graham Potter's kind of going to be, you know, by some will be compared to that. It's early days with Potter. As I said, there's been some good things, there's been some less good things. What have you kind of made of, of, of Graham Potter and his tactics so far, and just him as a manager? Personally, I've been quite happy so far. I mean, obviously, there's not much the manager can do about individual errors, apart from work on them on the training ground and sort of work them out of the sort of players. And that comes just with time, um, with time and understanding systems. But I think, you know, the Salzburg game, I think we played quite well. And to be honest, if it wasn't individual errors again, we would have won that game. Also a better finishing. You know, we should have walked away with that with three points. Yesterday's game, I think in general, we played quite well. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, four points from your opening two games, albeit I think, you know, one result that's a lot more probably credible than the other one. I think it's hard to complain. You can't really be too unhappy about it. And yeah, I think, you know, you have to just be, it's sort of you know you sort of take what it is. There are so many games at this moment in time. Fixtures come so thick and fast. Suddenly, you know, two games will become six games under the new manager in just a couple of weeks, just by the nature of how the season is sort of falling. Um, and yeah, I just think you know you have to just take every game. The old cliche: you have to just take every game as it comes. And you know, if Chelsea can start putting a sort of run of fixtures together, a run of form together, there's no reason they can't still have a very successful season. 
because of the nature of how early everything has sort of happened is. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. As I said, at the, at the time of recording, Chelsea are only one point off fourth place. They've got a game in hand on Spurs, who they're currently four points behind. And it's just one of those things for all the talk, etc. that's been around Chelsea. The fact they're still early days, you know, ground can easily be recovered, as I said. Chelsea got some decent fixtures coming up. And yeah, it's just this month is just going to be like brutal just covering Chelsea, just talking about it, seeing what we're learning, etc. Because Chelsea playing so often, I said, by the time the next pub comes out, we'll have played two games. We'll have a clearer picture on what our Champions League fate looks like. We'll have then play Wolves and, and face Diego Costa, um, which will be which will be another fun narrative in itself. Cole, yeah, we're playing, playing two sides. Be interesting if two two ex strikers score against us in week. Hopefully they don't. Um, but yeah, it's interesting with Pod. Just I, it's just one of those things. Just enjoy the ride. I don't think there needs to be. You know, we don't need to. I wouldn't overly stress about anything going on right now. Just you know, kind of just take it in and just kind of try and just absorb what's happening because it is a fresh start. We don't really know what to expect or what to happen. So just kind of enjoy enjoy the ride. Before we go, I do I have to do this because I'm a big fan of his. The greatest Brazilian of all time retired of the week. Ramirez, a man who won the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, FA Cup, League Cup. What a man. Scorer of some massive goals. Scorer of uh, a fantastic goal of the new Camp, which we will never forget. Set up two goals in our comeback win against Napoli. Scored an FA Cup final goal against Liverpool. The greatest Brazilian of all time. Happy retirement, Ramirez. And also a great John Odin McKell also retired in the week. Ah, oh, what could have been with him, eh? But still a top, top player. And obviously one who will be remembered fondly for his for his performance in Munich. Um, and said, it's London Marathon Day today as well. So to anyone, if there's any listeners running, then good luck. Um, got a friend running in the marathon today who started at 10.43. Uh, so... By the time this pod is out, she may still be running. But best of luck, Amelia. Everyone is behind you. And look, Rob, before we go, just give yourself one last plug. Where can people find you and all your work? Yeah, you can find me at RJP Journalism. And the more interesting follow is at the CFCW, so, uh, the Chelsea Social and at the CFCW Social. Lovely, lovely stuff. Rob's links will be in the description below. As for us, we're on Twitter at that Chelsea Pod. We're on Instagram at that Chelsea Pod. We're on all your usual podcast platform plugs. If you're not subscribed already, just search that Chelsea Podcast. And we should come up. If you like the show, please leave us a rating review. Five-star review goes a long, long way as well. Play it to anyone with a functioning pair of ears, please. And look, until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network.